everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have two people from the Stonewall Democratic Club. We have Alex Mohajer and Jasmine Kanick. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here, David. Um, so what exactly is the Stonewall Democrats and uh, maybe a little bit of the history? Yeah, sure. The Stonewall Democratic Club was founded in 1975, uh, right here in Los Angeles County, actually. People don't realize that the first Stonewall Democrats uh, was founded in L.A. And it earned its namesake from the Stonewall riots. And it started with about eight uh, queer Angelinos who felt that the Democratic Party was not adequately reflecting the interests of the LGBTQ community. And so they started organizing and uh, started what was the first uh, Stonewall Democratic Club. And today we're one of the largest Democratic clubs in the state of California and one of the oldest in the United States. We participate in politics at every level, the local, state, and federal level, uh, with endorsements, political action, legislative action. Uh, it's a big operation, and so we're we're the home for LGBTQ Democrats and allies for LA County and abroad. So, like, how big is your organization down in LA? We have nearly 800 members uh, and we have 45 steering committee members that cover operations across all different types of business. So um, our slate mailers go out to tens of thousands of households across LA County. And we also take up races at the state level and federally. So we're, it's pretty big, short answer. (laughs) So what is it that you guys do? I mean, like, uh, you know, I mean, if you had to like boil it down, um, is it an awareness campaign? Is it getting people elected that are sympathetic? Uh, What's the goal? It's political activism, like Alex said, at every single level. So whether it's someone who's running for mayor, and again, just because the group is um, LGBTQ Plus, and our allies, Democrats, doesn't mean the only candidates we look at or candidates who are queer. We look at everyone who's running for a specific office that, you know, is a Democrat. And we try to figure out as a club, you know, which of those candidates um, best represents and reflects our mission and our vision and sort of what we believe in as a club. And so 
doing that throughout an entire year, particularly right now when we're in a really, ooh, really large election cycle. It takes a lot of work, but it is a lot of political activism as well because it's not just endorsing. You know, we get involved in campaigns, we volunteer, we do all kinds of things. So what is the climate like right now on queer issues? And, you know, is it a good time or is, is it rocky? I think, you know, the LGBTQ community is not a monolith. So I think um, we cross the ideological gender identity and sexual orientation spectrum. So the needs and the identities of our community um, vary. So I think it's more about pushing progressive solutions to uh, pressing issues that affect our community more broadly. For instance, we know homelessness adversely affects LGBTQ people at a disproportionately high rate. Uh, we know that uh, income inequality and unfair economic policies adversely affect our community. We know that climate change adversely affects our community. So uh, looking at policy and looking at candidates and causes that we want to support involves kind of looking at it intersectionally and holistically. And, uh, and I think right now, particularly for our community, the onslaught of anti-trans legislation that has been passed across the US by GOP controlled state legislatures has been terrifying. And, and even down to voting rights, you know, we know that voting rights affects LGBTQ people. So it's a pretty holistic uh, and sort of broad goal to say we're going to advocate for our community because it, it can encompass so much. So then how do you decide what issues to take on? We vote. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we vote and then we're all a part of our community. So we kind of know what the issues are. And is not one separate community for, you know, we're, you know, so I think, um, you know, we're all pretty politically active. We pay attention to the news. We know what's going on in our city and our county. And if we don't bring the issue up, um, other folks um, do come to us as a club and ask us to get engaged and involved. So, yeah. Okay. I, I just wanted to kind of get a sense uh, for, for what your club did. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about was the LA Sheriff's race um, and why did you guys uh, endorse Eric Strong for sheriff? Jasmine, you want to take this one? <laughs> well, my disclaimer, first of all, is that um, I'm a strategist on Eric's campaign, although I was not a part of the endorsement um, panel, right? So, you know, look, in Los Angeles County, unfortunately, we have buyer's remorse right now because we went all in four years ago for our current sheriff, Alex Villanueva, who really turned out to be a Dino, which is a Democrat in name only. And throughout the past four years, he has just been the cause of so much angst and disappointment and really has acted more like a Republican than a Democrat. And so I think this time around, not just Stonewall Democratic Club, but a lot of other clubs are being very careful and thoughtful about the candidate who they endorse for sheriff, given what we just went through. 
I liked Alex and was drawn to Alex because he seemed out of, look, I'm clear that we're going to elect a sheriff. We're not going to, you're not going to find someone who's going to run for sheriff and not actually do the job of sheriff. But what you want is someone who is open to change, right? We don't have that right now. We want someone who is respectful to the community. We don't have that right now. Um, someone who doesn't argue and fuss and fight with all the other elected leaders in our county, and we don't have that right now. And I think out of the six candidates, Eric just seemed the most open, the most willing to um, also engage our community, make sure that we were going to be a part of his administration. And, you know, he just, you know, he embodied for me personally what I would like to see in the next sheriff. I want the sheriff to be the sheriff, but I want someone who understands that this is 2022 and we have to be willing to adjust and course correct and make changes when we see that we're not going down the right path. And since criminal justice reform is such a huge issue, not just for the country, but specifically for LA County, it is. Uh, it was imperative for for Stonewall to make sure they had a voice in that. Yeah. If I, can, if I can expand on that a little bit, because I was on the endorsement panel that ultimately recommended Eric to our uh, to our membership, and then our membership voted to approve that recommendation. So you know, Alex Villanueva is basically a corrupt Trump Trumpist who believes that he that he that the sheriff's department should have no oversight. He believes that uh, anyone that tries to conduct oversight on his department is a political hack. I mean, it's Trumpism to the worst degree. And so Democrats got it wrong in that race a few years ago. And when we interviewed these candidates, it was very clear that only one of them was not a technocratic insider who was just going to reaffirm the establishment of the sheriff's department and all of the the problems that it, that it continues to be rife with. I mean, the sheriff's department in LA County is broken because of continued corrupt leadership. Leadership. So we heard from Eric Strong, and I, I think important to note that there's a national conversation that's been started. I think been really brought into the national limelight about a need to reform our 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 institutions and particularly our our policing models. We're seeing this conversation happen locally and across the United States. So who are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Are we gonna keep making the same mistake over and over again and keep electing these technocratic insiders who've all been uh, investigated for shooting somebody or for their own corrupt practices? Or are we gonna invest, uh, invest our endorsement in a person who is the only candidate who's uh, actually investigated police misconduct as a part of internal affairs, who talks about compassion, who talks about uh, deputy gangs and provides concrete solutions for solving the problem of de deputy gangs. The current LA County Sheriff doesn't even believe that deputy gangs exist. Right. You know, so starting starting at that starting point is a good start. But Eric actually proposed solutions to this problem by changing the way we evaluate police performance so that there's less of an emphasis placed on uh, quantifying things like arrests and instead looks at the overall good to the community that the officer is doing in the in the course of their job. I think that that is the beginning of reimagining uh, our policing models. And I'll note, if we needed any confirmation that Eric was the correct candidate to endorse, he appeared at a candidate panel before ALADS, which is a very uh, it's just, it's an organization for police deputies, uh, and he was the only candidate 
to speak out against the creation of a new jail in Los Angeles County. And he, and that that uh, fearlessness in breaking rank with uh, the rest of those candidates, I thought was very powerful and telling. And it's exact kind of candidate at Stonewall with the name that we have, with the history with police violence that we have, uh, can get behind. And we considered not endorsing in that race at all because of Stonewall's history with with the police and uh, because of the mistakes that mistakes that were made with Villanueva. But we felt that uh, Eric Strong was the only candidate who was willing to rise to the occasion of actually putting into place the roots of long-term systemic change in that department. And we've actually had Eric Strong on our show uh, a few months ago, right after he announced. Um, but I, I'm wondering, you know, what what went so wrong with Alex Villanueva? Because all of a sudden, uh, you know, he's uh, arrived on the national uh, scene, like thumbing his nose at the board of supervisors and ignoring, uh, you know, police oversight and all sorts of other stuff. Um, I, I mean, had Democrats get that so wrong? I'm going to say this. I, I don't necessarily think that things went wrong with Villanueva, I think this was who he was all along. And he said and did what he needed to do to get elected. He ran up against uh, our former sheriff, Jim McDonald, who, you know, unfortunately just was not politically savvy and didn't want to be political. Like he just really, he just wanted to be a sheriff. He did not want to engage in politics. And Alex engaged in politics and painted him as a Republican and at the time, you know, people were so um, enraged with, uh, uh, you know, uh, President Trump, and it was like Republican, you know, so, you know, we're going to get rid of this Republican sheriff. But here's the thing, you know, um, one, for decades and decades, long before I was born, we, we always were electing Republican sheriffs, district attorneys, and city attorneys. Only in the past year or two has that even become an issue when people are paying attention. But it's also a nonpartisan position, you know, just to be clear, the office sheriff is a nonpartisan role, but Alex and his team were able to sophisticate, they were very sophisticated the way they did it, but they were able to pay him as a Republican and get us to corral around him. And I think that was the plan all along. I don't think that Alex just turned into this whole different person. I think he was a different person on the campaign trail. And then after he won, it was like, okay, I'm up in here and he did his thing. And also, I think, I mean, a couple of things. I think Jasmine's spot on as per usual. Jasmine Kennick is always Stop got her, I'm just Stop. saying. But also, <laughs> To add to that, I think a couple things. A, power, some it put in the wrong hands, corrupts. You know, it, it's possible that this is the person that didn't have the temperament to have this kind of job. The other thing is, is that I think that the scrutiny that we're placing on these specific roles, particularly sheriff's departments and policing, uh, police chiefs across the country has changed. I think George Floyd and his murder change things. And I think we're seeing a what maybe we needed this kind of scrutiny before and didn't place on, on this, we are now placing on it. And all of a sudden, the scrutiny and uh, his lack of desire to be held to account uh, because of his temperament are, have come to the fore. And I wonder, had 
George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter demonstrations of, of 2020 not happened, would we even be paying attention to Alex Villanueva? That's what's even more concerning. But the world has changed. The country has changed. And it's it's time for us to not look away. I think that's the most important thing. And I think, finally, I'd like to say that Democrats, particularly in Los Angeles County, and I'm going to gently and uh, gently criticize affectionately the party, uh, they're interested in selecting candidates that they believe are, quote, viable. And when you pick a candidate based on what you deem to be their viability, you are not picking the right candidate for the job. Instead, what Democrats need to be doing is making the right candidates viable. And if we continue in this system of trying to, trying to just get the most likely viable candidate in to clean up the mess of the predecessor and keep cleaning up the mess, we're never, we're never doing the bold, progressive thing. We're never solving the overall problem. I just want to tack on and say something else. In LA County, it has been the history in the office of sheriff um, that you get in that position and you have it for life, basically. Uh, As long as you have a a heartbeat and you want to have that job, once you get elected, um, you're there. Similar to district attorney. I mean, people don't know we don't have um, term limits at the county level for the position of sheriff or district attorney or county assessor, right? And what we showed with Jim McDonald um, was that you can be a one-term sheriff. That was the first time that had ever happened. Jim McDonald came into office um, after Lee Baca and uh, was a one-term sheriff. So it, we can get rid of Alex Villanueva. It can be done if people really want to want to do it. Um, and the same thing happened with our district attorney, who I'm sure thought she was going to be there till she was ready to leave. But Jackie Lacey had to go and Jackie Lacey is gone. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but I, I did want to pick up on one point that Alex made, and uh, uh, which I thought was interesting, uh, the connection between George Floyd and Alex Villanueva. But the other uh, issue that you didn't bring up that, um, you know, first drew my attention to him was the COVID issue and, uh, you know, the issue uh, in in the jails and not clearing some of the jails uh, and, and, uh, you know, the COVID uh, running rampant in in the jails and, and then not forcing masks and all sorts of other stuff. So that, that also seemed to kind of, change the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you were saying that, it just made me think about a story that ran in the news today about, you know, we're getting ready for the Super Bowl, and that's going to be a super spreader event, but um, they were talking about how we have so many outs with COVID, and I was just thinking to myself, well, if you work in a department where you're not required to do certain things, well, then, yeah, you probably do have thousands and thousands of people who are out sick, right? I don't have any sympathy. I just don't have any sympathy for that at all. But, yeah, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to what I said and what Alex said before. Basically, our sheriff is like the Donald Trump of the West. Yeah. 
Like he, that's basically what he is. Like he says he's a Democrat, but he's a Dino, Democrat name only, but everything he does, if you look at his rhetoric, if you look at what he says, if you look at what he supports, is everything that, you know, Donald Trump and all of his followers say, do, and support. He calls his detractors paid activists. I mean, he is literally using Trump's playbook of of demonizing his detractors and casting aspersions as to whether or not they're even really detractors or whether they're paid by his opponents. He's he calls the oversight uh, uh, institutions that are there to conduct oversight over him, like Inspector General, like the Board of Supervisors. He calls them activist hacks and decides for himself who he will and will not be held accountable to. I mean, he's a Trumpist. But yes, to back to your original point, the treatment of those who are incarcerated and held in prisons or jails in the United States is a problem. It's a humanitarian issue. And I think that we, if we fall into the trap of saying these people don't deserve basic common safety measures and protections, what is happening to us as a society? Have we lost our empathy? It's the same sort of, if it's not in my backyard, don't fix it mentality that has led to the homeless cri- homelessness crisis in the county of Los Angeles and the city of Los Angeles particularly. Uh, and we can't look away from these, what I view as being uh, humanitarian crises. Just because you are in jail doesn't mean you don't deserve to be protected from a global pandemic. And I think that's another way that Sheriff Villanueva's leadership has been an utter, total, humiliating disaster for our city and for anyone who believes in common decency, empathy for your neighbor, and he's got to go. Yeah. Um, So I do want to ask you, uh, kind of your take on what's happening uh, with the DA and Gascon and the recall. Um, are, are you guys playing a part in uh, the anti-recall movement or, or what's happening with that? I, I'll let Alex take that because we probably disagree on this one. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not for recalling George Gascon. Just, just I want to say that up front. But I definitely understand the concerns of the community. I think I want to address this in a couple of ways. One is is that Stonewall vehemently opposes the recall efforts, mostly because they're disingenuous efforts lodged by Republicans to undo the the. the Uh, the will of the people, overturn the will of the electorate. And it's just one of many ways that Republicans are aiming to to disrupt our democratic principles and the right to the ballot, which ultimately, if they can't get it through an insurrection, if they can't get it through legislative means, uh, they'll try through procedural means. And here in California, we are not uh, exempt of that onslaught. And that's what those recall efforts are about. And so we oppose them. The voters voted. They voted for a reason. He's, he's doing the things that he said he was going to do. And we, my view is, and we may disagree, Jasmine, is that uh, we ought to give him a chance to do it. Now, that being said, George Gascon has come under uh, scrutiny, even from the LGBTQ community. But here's where George Gascon is a vastly different person than Alex Villanueva. When he first got elected, he decided he was going to do away with hate crime enhancements which is something that ultimately uh, disproportionately affects the LGBTQ community. And when Stonewall and other community stakeholders 
raised a red flag to him about this, he listened and he reversed course on that. That is, to me, an exemplary leader and a person who is listening to the community and taking feedback from the community and can admit, okay, well, maybe this was a wrong move. So in, in that way, George Gascon uh, is, is, a much more, uh, is a much better leader and much better suited to be leading an institution like the district attorney's office than someone like Villanueva and certainly uh, than Jackie Lacey. Uh, so he's leaps and bounds better than his predecessor. And the, the scrutiny that he's under is because he's offering up progressive policies that reimagine the office and people don't like it, but they've got to respect the will of the electorate and let him do his work, in my opinion. I think, you know, we need, we don't, I, a lot of people don't want to see a let them all out DA and we don't want to lock them all up DA, if you understand what I'm saying, right? So we need it to be somewhere in the middle. And I think at least in, you know, in the black community, it is really split on this because, you know, much of the discussion is around the victims of crime and victims of crime come in every single race. And as of late, we've had some really, really um, horrendous situations like with Miss Jackie Avant and Beverly Hills and now Tiani Theus being murdered, the 16-year-old that was murdered and dumped on the side of the freeway, who now, you know, it's turning out was, you know, um, being trafficked, right? And so the community is also looking at the DA that they elected to also make sure that there is justice. Um, and it's just finding that fine balance. I got to tell you, it's a job I definitely wouldn't want to have. Because sometimes I feel like you're downed if you do, you're downed if you don't. Um, but I will agree with Alex. I mean, he's definitely better than Jackie Lacey. I think anytime there's a major change, um, you're going to always have people who are unhappy. I mean, look at the mutiny that he's dealing with just in his office alone. Like the people in his office are trying to, to, to railroad him and, and, and get him, um, you know, to make sure like that. Because I, besides the hate crime enhancement, you know, he, which he listened to Stonewall, he listened to y'all all, but he did take away the gang enhancement <laughs> um, and a couple of other ones that people were um, particularly upset with in, in his office. So, I mean, it's just an interesting time. I'm of the mindset that the person was elected, let them have their term. And if at the end of the term, the electorate feels like they weren't happy, they have an opportunity to do something. I always say that a person's first term in office is sort of like that get to know you period. Like, it's like you're, you know, it's like, okay, are we gonna keep this person? Or are we not gonna keep this person? With Jim McDonald, we chose not to keep him. So, you know, who knows what's gonna happen with Gascon, but I'm not supportive of the recall. And, you know, you have to also think about where all the money is coming from for this recall, because recalls are not cheap at all. Uh, they cost a lot of money. And so if you, do do the research and you look and see who's funding all of this. It is very, very clear what the agenda is. So let me ask you this, and you know, I, I don't need to drive this home, but uh, I'm just really curious. I mean, what is your biggest concern with Gascon? Mine? Well, let me just let me <laughs> you go let me let me just say so. The biggest concern is not actually with Gascon himself. 
as much as it is the, the work that we need to do in order to make his policies effective. Gang enhancements, for instance, they disproportionately 92% of the people affected are black and brown. And it keeps people in prison and it's used unfairly. And it's a system by which we, which, which we keep people in the, in the prison pipeline for their whole lives. And, and they're not effective either. They're not, they don't, they're not proven to show any reduction in gang activity. What we need to be doing as a society is saying, why aren't we doing the work of solving the problem at the root? He's there to do his job, but we've got to do the job of investing in our communities, finding afford, making affordable housing available to people, looking at income inequality, looking at the way we stigmatize mental health, looking at the way we stigmatize drug and alcohol uh, addiction. There was a case study that was done in a, a town called Little Falls, Minnesota. And what they did in Little Falls in the early 2010s was they stopped incarcerating people and criminalizing arrests or, or uh, incidents that were related to drug and alcohol, drugs or alcohol use. And instead, they took a small amount of grant money in Little Falls and they put it into rehabilitation for the people that were getting in trouble with the police for drug and alcohol related crimes. And what happened was within six months, that town in Little Falls, Minnesota was able to completely eradicate their opioid crisis, completely in six months. And that's what you get when you invest in your community. If we are constantly in the business of incarcerating people without solving the root problems, without investing in our communities, without providing them the opportunities that they need to get by, to live a life, to have the same opportunities as the rest of us, then we are not doing our jobs. Then we are not the country that we say that we are. So I think George Gascon is doing what he can to solve this problem over here, but we've got to do the work of solving the root causes of a lot of these issues. And this goes for homelessness, this goes for drug and alcohol addiction, this goes for the disproportionately high number of black and brown people that are thrown into a prison, prison pipeline that they never can break free from. And I think that that's the problem. That's my overall concern. I think George Gascon is doing what he said he was going to do. I will agree with that. I mean, look, I, 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 I will say that I agree that we have to nip it at the root. That is the issue. And maybe our my root is the family, right? My root is, you know, before people engage in crime? Like, are we raising our kids and our teenagers? But it, it all goes back to what Alex said anyway, because in order to do that, you have to have access to housing. You have to have access to jobs. You have to, you know, these are the things that stabilize families, right? So that they can, so that parents can be there for their kids and teach them and raise them right. You know, it's an ongoing conversation, Lord. It's a long conversation, but I will agree with Alex. He is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. One of the big things George said that he was going to do if he was elected, he was going to, he was going to char, um, treat kids like kids. That was a real big deal because prior to that, you know, you could be a teenager and if you were charged in LA County with a felony and it was a violent felony, they would, they would not, they would put you in adult court. Like no problems, 14 years old, send them to adult court. And one of the things George Gascon is doing, which I really do appreciate, is um, giving kids an opportunity, even if it was what they did was really bad, but understanding that they are children, right? And so that means that their brains are only so 
you know, so much formed and there are only so, you know, we were all teenagers once, we were all young people once, so we know what it feels like to be a teenager, even if they did something that was very adult-like. And so um, in that respect, I love what he's doing there. I know he's getting a lot of praise from a lot of different communities for that too, because we're also giving those young people an opportunity to still have a life, right? You know, 14 going to prison for the rest of your life is crazy to me, right? And now these young people are, are getting an opportunity to, um, to come out, hopefully um, rehabilitated. But here's the problem. If they come out into a community with no resources for them, with nothing to offer them, yeah. And that's, what, that's what's happening right now. I mean, we, we're failing in that area. We are, we are really failing in terms of, you know, what, you know, we, we send people away to prison and they come out and we still punish them. We don't want to rent to them. We don't want to hire them. We don't have resources from them, even though they paid their debt to society. And so, you know, like Alex said, George is doing his part. The rest of us need to do our part. That seems to me to be kind of the big missing piece in all of this is that, you know, the DA can only do his little sliver of the world. He can't do the big picture, which I agree needs to be done. Um, I don't think we're going to solve crime at the enforcement level. We're going to solve crime by giving people better opportunities to be able to, uh, you know, get an education, get a job uh, and be able to succeed. And, and the other big thing is the mental health. And I'm gonna use that to kind of swing us to homelessness because I know that's a huge issue. Um, what's your take on what needs to happen with regard to homelessness in LA? I mean, we're saying it right now. You oh, know, the Los Angeles- <laughs> But like the oh Los Angeles- God. You can't shuffle people off into other neighborhoods and expect, expect that the problem's going to be solved. You can't criminalize homelessness and expect the problem's going to be solved. You can't have a wage, a minimum wage that is unlivable, particularly in a city like Los Angeles, where people literally cannot possibly survive on it and expect that the problem's going to be solved. You can't have housing costs that are so exorbitant that you have to make $80,000 a year to rent a one bedroom apartment and ex expect the problem to be solved. You can't uh, treat drug and alcohol addiction and mental health issues as things that should be ashamed of and expect that the problem is going to be solved. This is going to take a holistic investment in our communities and in mental health, drug and alcohol rehabilitation, a increase in our minimum wage that far exceeds what any proposals that happen now. I'll note in West Hollywood, um, our new progressive city council there just passed the largest minimum wage increase in the United States. By next year, will be the highest in the US. It's a good start, but the cost of living in these places is still so high. The housing is too expensive. We are creating a society where only the rich can get by and the poor continue to get poor. We've been talking about this as Democrats for decades about the need to strengthen the middle class and to provide people opportunities to get into the middle class and we are not doing it. So at the city level, the Los Angeles City Council has to be doing much more to, to, to create these solutions and to create opportunities for these solutions. And we're not seeing it done. Some are, there are some that, that do it, 
But rather than shuffling people off out of your neighborhood, we need, we need a more investment in those folks. This is going to create an altogether holistically more, more ha- happier, a happier community because the homeless have some place to be. They have some place, uh, they've got the services that they need. And the homeowners who are concerned about the, the homeless on their streets, you know, they can enjoy their life and everyone's happy, but it's going to take the hard work of investing in the communities first. And I'll just piggyback on that and say this. We need to elect some bold leaders who are willing to make um, bold decisions on housing. Um, Part of the issue in LA is that we're too busy building market rate housing, uh, where then we want to only allocate this much to either affordable, and I always say affordable for who, or low income housing, right? And a lot of people can qualify at this point in LA for low income, right? And until we're willing to say, I think as, a, as particularly as a city, as a county, look, we can only charge this much for rent over here and this much for rent over here. And we're willing to, 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 to put those things into place. The rents are gonna continue to soar and people are gonna continue to suffer. Everyone who is experiencing homelessness is not addicted to drugs, is not an alcoholic. I have experienced homelessness before I was in, staying at one of my friend's house. No one ever knew, like years ago, like no one ever had a clue or whatever. But I did, I, I was, right? And a lot of people who are, I see people sleeping at the park when I go to the park and work out, sleeping in their cars. These are people who have jobs. They're like the working homeless. They use the gym to take a shower and stuff. And we're seeing more and more that this city is catering more towards, like Alex said, the people who are rich and can afford it than it is for the people who have been here, who have grown up here um, all of their lives. It is pushing folks out of their community. And as much as our leaders, even the Democrats talk about how, oh, we need to fix this, this needs to change. They're not doing the things that, that need to be done, which is, you know, saying to the apartment owners association, no, you know, no, I'm not going to take your money and, and putting ordinances into place. Like I said, that restrict and cap the amount of rent that folks can charge in specific areas for certain types of places. Like, it's just ridiculous. Why, why, any, nowhere in LA should a one bedroom be $4,000. I just. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but this is, you know, a critical topic that I wish we could spend another few days talking about. Um, But I want to thank both of you for coming on the show and and discussing uh, what your club is doing and also uh, the political scene down in LA. Um, This is uh, Alex uh, from uh, the Stonewall Democratic Club and Jasmine, uh, thank you for coming on. This has been Everyday Injustice. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thanks, David. Stonewalldems.org, please join us. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.